Welcome to Nefarious New York. I'm Allison. And I'm Meredith. And Allison is to kill it up. <laughs> I am. It's to get through this day with my children. Mm. I was thinking, though, I was like, last year at this time, like we were like locked in. I would have been like wasted by now. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was okay for us to start drinking it. Three or four o'clock in the afternoon. We were just sitting around doing nothing. Oh, God. It's always okay. Today was an especially trying day with my children. Well, today was a very busy day at work, and I felt like I had 18 different things to do, and my phone kept ringing, and I was very happy to get home. So we're not going to CrimeCon. We are not going to CrimeCon. We're going to do... This year. Next year. We're going to plan on next year in Vegas, but this year, I'm just not feeling like traveling all the way to Texas, and I'm also not thinking a lot of people are going to go. Right. So it might not be worth it. It's a, it's a busy time for me, too. So we'll shoot for next year. Okay. And uh, keep doing what we're doing. And I believe we are going to go back to one episode a week. Listen, we're going to do a push right now. So whoever's listening, we set up a Patreon, but there's nothing on it yet. So I'll post when there's stuff on it. So if you could support that, that would be great. Also, we are going to do a real push for seeing if we can up the numbers here. I'm not saying I don't appreciate the people that are listening. I totally do. I would also appreciate if they got a couple of other people to listen. Right. Okay. That'd be fantastic. So so just if it goes up a little bit. So if we come back to doing every week, we do a push on social media, we do a push on Patreon, and we'll do some videos on there of us visiting some of these sites yes. of the cases. We'll see what, what happens. Yeah. So I, I, that's it. I would love to do that. And I would I would love to do that for us. I guess help us help us push. Uh you wanna jump in? Yes, I am going to jump in right now and talk about Michelle Lee. She had dreams of working as a forensic scientist. So in her high school yearbook, that's what she listed as her goal. So her dream took her to New York, John Jay College of Criminal Justice. She met and started dating Gary McGurk while there, and they met at the school gym in 2004. She excelled in her classes and quickly got a job at the NYPD in September of 2008. For those who don't know, that is the New York Police Department. She was a criminalist, which I think is pretty cool. You know, she's she's following her dreams. Very CSI, right? Yeah, yeah. And I would think very interesting and especially, you know, at a pretty young age. In 2009, she was 24 years old and living in an apartment in Queens. She had a roommate, and on the weekend of April 25th, her roommate went away on a Friday and came home Sunday. Michelle went about her day and went to the gym late Saturday afternoon, and her roommate got home late Sunday evening and went to bed without talking to Michelle. And she just assumed that Michelle was asleep. When she woke up Monday morning, she noticed that Michelle wasn't up getting ready for work. So she went in to check on her. And when she opened Michelle's bedroom door at around 8 a.m., she found her naked, lifeless 
body. And actually pretty friggin' creepy is that she slept right next door to her dead friend and didn't know anything. So after she found Michelle, she ran out of the apartment screaming, she's dead in the bed. Police arrived and began their investigation. So the scene was pretty gruesome. There was no forced entry. So that's what they noticed first, which then has them focusing on people that Michelle knew. Right. So this is what they're seeing. Michelle was tied to the bed with a cell phone charger cord. So I believe she was tied by her hands, her wrists. Okay. A kitchen knife was sticking out of her throat. Oh my God. And she had also been burned on her chest with a clothing iron. Wow. The police thought that she was knocked unconscious with that same iron. So as you can imagine, the scene was a pretty bloody one. The police started to review her cell phone records and look at her past boyfriends. Seems like a pretty standard... Standard procedure and investigation. They also found, and maybe the most important piece of evidence, was her diary. Mm. Do you keep a diary? I... No, I do not. I used to when I was very young. Very young, right? Mm -hmm. Um, But anyway... She kept a diary. In it, she wrote a lot about Gary McGurk. So let's talk about Gary. Gary McGurk was born September 15th, 1985 in Ireland. And he moved to America when he was 10 years old with his family. And he described himself on MySpace. This is, you know, pre-Facebook, right? I'm my own person and I do not intend to change for anyone. I'm capable of switching accents at will. I'm an asshole. No regrets. <laughs> okay. Now, interesting side note. His father was no gem either. Um, his father, Aidan McCurk, was a member of the IRA, and he spent nine years in jail for possession of explosive substances near the border. He then was sentenced to five years for IRA membership, And then he was sentenced to another five years for having a bag of baklava. What? Balaclavas. Oh, so we're not talking desserts here. Okay. No. Balaclavas and berets. What is a balaclava? It's that that, that, um, thing that you'd put over your face, like a a knit cap, uh, ski cap, but with just your eyes showing. Oh, oh, okay. So he had... uh, He had a bag of that and berets, which meant he was IRA, I guess. This conviction was overturned, though, because you really shouldn't be able to convict someone based on their clothing. Um, After this, the family moved to New York, and Gary was 10 years old when they moved. He attended John Jay with Michelle, as as we mentioned before, and he played soccer for the school. Gary and Michelle had an on-again, off-again relationship that started, like we said, in 2004. So, Mara, tell me if this kind of reminds you of another case. Oh, God. There's been so many, but go ahead. No, you're going to get this one. As they were interviewing him and kind of just getting a feel for their relationship, he said, sometimes we did the bondage, we did the asphyxiation, I would be on top and choke her. So he's using... I'm thinking chambers? Yes. Okay. 
He's kind of planting the seed for like the rough sex, accidental death defense. But he denied that they did that on the night of her death. And he also offered very enthusiastically that at 3.56 a.m. Michelle called him so that he wasn't with her. And I think there's a big difference between rough sex and a knife and a throat. But well, yeah, yeah. So their relationship was probably more one-sided. I think Michelle was, I guess, as you say, much more into him. And he also told investigators that he would never hurt her. He had terminal cancer and Michelle helped him pay for his doctors. Since he didn't have insurance here because he was an Irish citizen, right? So in her diary, she wrote, he's so brave I can't stop thinking. I can't stop crying. I loved him so much. I wish he would get better. I wish I could hold him forever. After multiple interviews, McGurk described their relationship more as friends with benefits. Mm -hmm. So you can see that she was interpreting it as way different than he was. Well, of course. I mean, that happens a lot of times, but and especially if you're having sex with someone, you know, those lines are crossed. So friends with benefits, I guess, is what he's saying. And she thought it was more and especially she's, you know, giving him money. And so, okay, go on. Since they were just friends with benefits, he kind of cut that off and started dating someone else. But they stayed friends and would chat regularly. He revealed that Michelle was annoyed with her roommate, the one that had found her. Mm hmm for subscribing to an online dating site. So he said that Michelle was worried that some shady people would be coming around the place. Then he said a weird thing about Michelle. He said she made some bad decisions and I told her that I was a bad decision, joking. So it's a little weird comment to make when someone's dead. Right, but I also feel like he's setting a scene for them to look at other people. Right. I also feel like he's an asshole. Oh, from what I'm reading, From just yes. the little bit that we, right, the little bit that we've heard about him with his MySpace and all that. Well, he said he's like an asshole. I mean, he's a, a, you know. Oh, he did. He did say he's an asshole. Right. So on the weekend of Michelle's death, Gary with his new girlfriend for, he was with her for most of the time that weekend. So that's his alibi. It did come out, though, that he left the new girlfriend around 8.45 the Saturday night Michelle was killed. And he said he went to Starbucks, but it was closed, so he walked around to some other Starbucks. He told police that he went to see Michelle the night she died at around 2 a.m. And he said Mm -hmm. they met up outside of his CVS, and it was here that she told him that she couldn't give him any more money. So he said that he walked her home and left her at her apartment building. Okay. So he said that she called him from her BlackBerry at around 4 a.m. In order to make her pay, he made up a story that he had cancer and needed the money for treatment. So this cancer story is a lie? As this is not really making sense in you saying it, It's also not making sense to the police. He's putting a story out there to kind of suit him. 
Right. Right. First, he has terminal cancer and she's giving him money to help him with treatment. Yeah, but then she owes him money and he's making up having cancer to get her to pay. So it's kind of like very murky. Yeah, I, I would say at the very least, it's murky. So she was murdered, let's say, April 26th. Okay. Okay. So this is someone that he's been friends with for years. And on April 30th, Again, it would be like going on Facebook. So he listed his mood on MySpace as blissful. Which is very odd. When your friend has just passed away. Of course. Just before her death, a few days, in that diary, again, that was so crucial, she wrote, Dear Journal, my mind is rambling. I'm not ready to lose Gary. I am trying to figure out the right time to tell him I love him. I truly do. I feel bad for this girl. I mean, I feel terrible, horrible. And you have to just get just a little more background on her. She's from this super conservative Korean family that would not approve of her dating outside of their culture. Okay. So she's really going out on a limb here with this guy as it is. Right. And he's portraying it as friends with benefits. It's like, what an asshole. Here's the other weird thing. So he said, if I were to have done this to Michelle, I would not only embarrass myself, but I would also embarrass my family. Like, embarrass, it's just a weird word to use. Right. Like, embarrassment should be the least of your right concerns. So whatever happened to Michelle, so he says, whether it was an accident or on purpose does not matter. If I did it, I would deserve to be put away. Yeah, but embarrassment is not the word that I would use. No, I'm I'm trying to think of what word I would use. Embarrass is not the right. proper word. I would be an evil person. I would be, you know, I, I, I don't know. It would be unforgivable. It would be something like that. Right. Well, he's not showing any redeeming qualities. No. At all. No. Except maybe he's a good soccer player. Yeah, okay. (laughs) That's all I got from him. So his story keeps changing. Like I said, he had cancer and she was giving him money. Then he made up having cancer to get her to pay him money she owed him. I don't know. So basically the bottom line is he scammed her out of money. He didn't have cancer. He was getting money from her. Right. And he wasn't with his girlfriend that night, right? He was with Michelle at 2 a.m., And then you've got these cell phone records that show she called him, but when she called him, his cell phone was in the same place as her cell phone. Mm. So McGurk was arrested and held without bail in May, and he was charged with second degree murder and three counts of tampering with physical evidence and two counts of fourth degree criminal possession of a weapon. In May of 2010... McGurk pled guilty. He said he choked her unconscious, then wrapped her head in plastic wrap. And remember, he's at the same school as her. So he's got a little CSI-itis. He thinks he knows how to like hoodwink detectives and get away with it. So So he wrapped her head in plastic wrap to keep all the blood spatter in, right? Yeah. He slammed her head with a hammer so it wasn't the iron. Ugh. So he slammed her head with a hammer at least four times. Then he stabbed her in the neck with a knife and left it there. 
Then he had to like turn on the iron, heat it up, and burn her body with the iron. For and for what purpose? The purpose that he thinks he's a freaking genius. He then posed her naked body, and he did this all to throw off investigators. So basically, he just wanted to kill her because she cut him off financially. Okay. Like, he he got so angry with her, and they must have gotten in a fight. She must have realized he was bullshitting her. Right. You know, the whole thing. And he just went berserk and choked her unconscious. But then went and got the plastic wrap and the hammer and all left the knife. So he's doing all that so that they think some like psychotic maniac killed her like some serial killer or something. Yeah. Like he's trying to make it seem well, so absurd. Yeah. That why would they look at him? Well, he is a psychotic sociopath, but okay. Well, he thought he was pretty friggin' smart. Yeah. So he left the apartment and he took the plastic wrap, the bloody you know he took it off her head and he took that he took the hammer and he took michelle's blackberry which for anyone who does not know that's basically a cell phone so that's what the three counts of tampering with evidence is right he used her cell phone to call himself to kind of set it up that yeah she called him and he wasn't with her but cell phone records show they were basically in the same spot Ugh, what a monster So at his sentencing, he said, I hope that in the years to come, God will help you through this. Michelle is safe with him now. I don't ask for forgiveness because I don't deserve it. Well, you don't. I would love to be able to answer the question why and tell you what happened. I will meet my maker one day and I will receive my punishment that day as I receive my punishment today. I am sorry. I can only hope the years to come will be easier. May she rest in peace. This guy's a weirdo. He was sentenced to 37 years, and the earliest he can be released is October 21st, 2030, and he would be 45 years old. That's really young, considering I'm older than that. Right. For murdering someone like, like that, like horribly, if he gets out and he's 45 years old... What makes somebody just snap and do that? I have no idea. I, I, you know, I would be interested to see. I couldn't find anything about like drugs or alcohol or was he like wasted when he went over there at two in the morning or whatever time it was. Not that that's a defense, but I'm like, there's got to be something like he led this perfectly normal life. And I, you know, I don't know how much his upbringing plays into this, right? His father. Well, yeah, his dad was pretty extreme. But he sounded like an asshole to begin with. Like he had a chip on his shoulder and it didn't come out that he had scammed women in the past or anything like that. I mean, obviously he found a sheltered girl who was kind of kept within the folds of her family and just got her first apartment and was just branching out and naive, and he took advantage of that. And then when she caught on to it, he tried to cover it up by murdering her in a disgusting, horrific way. I I, I don't know what happens within somebody. 
to be able to do something like that. But it's strange because in one, you know, he's he's very sorry after the fact, but during the investigation and, you know, prior to that, he just sounds like a pompous, he's a sociopath. I mean, there's no other way to describe it. And I always go back to how I think I would react if, God forbid, I lost my marbles for like a second and did something crazy like that. First of all, I wouldn't then stage it to look like a horror show. And second of all, I would not be able to go in there and lie to cover my ass. I would be inconsolable, blubbering, snot-faced idiot right. confessing to everyone. who, Like my conscience would not allow me to try to lie and make shit up to get away with it. Like it, I would be unable to do that and function properly. So right. the fact that he's able to go in there, come up with all these lies, continue, put his mood as blissful, something's wrong with him. That's what I'm saying. I mean, there there's remorse or, you know, fake remorse after the fact, but use your brain. So he should be in jail longer than till he's 45. Right. Because he's going to get out with plenty of muscle and life left. 45, you're getting out with a, a long bit of life left to do God knows what. Well, you know what the weird thing is? As you know, as we go through this one, you know, and it's pretty kind of clear, uh, cut and dry murder case. But it seems to me like he wanted to get caught. But this this guy d- didn't even try to cover up what he did for very long. And then you go and you put on MySpace, you know, blissful. To me, that's somebody who is in the back of their mind. Like it, it, it almost seems like he was proud of what he did. As weird as that sounds, it just seems to me that he's so pompous and so self-centered that he's capable of doing it again. He did it and he tried to get away with it. At least play the part. He wasn't even playing the part. No. And he was just worried about saving his own ass. Like something is wrong with you. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't want you back out. No. No, he doesn't deserve to be back out. And listen, he doesn't, he's not necessarily going to get out, but he can be released. He's also a a young guy. So you, you say, okay, well, you know, let's look at his history. Well, he doesn't really have that much of a history because he's he's so young. Right. And he was in Ireland till he was 10. So, you know, I, I don't know much about his upbringing, but I would guess it was a little tumultuous considering his dad was in and out of prison. But a lot of people have a, a crazy upbringing and don't do this. Right. Right. I mean, there's no redeemable qualities here at all. So that was that case. Okay. I feel terrible for her family. It's horrible. Very heartbreaking because she had so much potential. It's an, it's an unfortunate case, but fortunately, he wasn't that smart. He wasn't as smart as he thought he was. No, he was not. And the NYPD was much smarter. So he's where he belongs. I just hope he stays there yeah. for longer than he can. Okay. Um, so we'll be back in one week with another episode. Okay. So stick with us. This is a push. Get people to listen. And you can sing us out this week. Okay. okay. Nefarious New York. Okay.